Money, a podcast network that understands the assignment. The Alive Podcast Network has launched the world's first content distribution app tailored by and for podcasters and listeners of color. Subscribers will enjoy a wide variety of shows ranging from spiritual to comedic to inspirational. Podcasters can house their content and merch in one spot and monetize from a central location. Visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com coming soon to iOS and Android. Sign up today to get a six-month subscription for $20. You can thank me later. You're listening to Deeply Rooted with Dr. Kratisa, where we encourage you not only to just wash your hair on wash day, but check your soul. Living in America with natural hair is a unique experience. We should be discussing it and giving witness to our own vulnerable and sometimes hilarious stories, hair stories that encompass much more than just how we style it. Everyone's hair journey is different. Everyone's hair is different. This is a safe space for Black voices. On today's episode, I speak with Dr. Janice Asari about anti-Blackness and its relation to natural hair transitions. She is a PhD-trained industrial organizational psychologist. Her dissertation focused on hiring bias, and her upcoming book is titled Decentering Whiteness in the Workplace. Much of her work focuses on anti-racism and anti-Blackness, how these manifest in and out of the workplace, and strategies to remove systemic barriers that perpetuate them. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Janice Asari to the show. So thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you coming on the show. We're so excited to have you. Yes, I'm really excited about this conversation. I think it is an important conversation. So let me say that I have um, a booking person who finds me some people. I gave them like, like three or four words to kind of choose people I'm like I need black women who are interesting who are very like out there in the world bossy and helpful um you know helpers um and when I looked at your LinkedIn page I was like perfect (laughs) I'm really glad that we connected (laughs) me too so tell me a little bit I guess of what you remember from your wash days like from growing up yeah that's actually a a, such a great question (laughs) my so I have a sister uh she's older we're very close in age and we have both of us have 4c hair very thick and I don't think my mom really knew how to deal with it and so I remember being young we were both tender-headed and um and my mom would just like do our hair put the little barrettes in our hair but it was just at some point it became too much for my mom so I remember she would take us to this lady Miss Betty she was a sweet older black woman she would take us to the salon and we started getting like texturizers in our hair because it was just too much to deal with I think my sister and I wanted to look normal and we we just wanted to be seen as, or like everyone else, there was someone who used to make fun of us and call us Chia Pets. And he used to, I don't know if you remember the commercial 
But in the commercial, so for those of y'all listening or who will be listening, chia pets were like these little, um, almost like bonsai trees Mm -hmm. that were really trendy in the 90s and they had them in different shapes. And there was one that had like a big the hair was just essentially like a bush and in the commercial they would be like chia and so there was this guy at our school who used to see me and my sister and he would be like every time he would see us he would say that right mm-hmm. and so I think for me I just internalized that and I feel like one of the ways that anti-blackness showed up for me was my feelings about my hair and I never felt like my hair was acceptable. And so we would beg our mom to do different things to our hair, to put all of these texturizers in. I don't know if you remember, um, Debbie Allen actually had like some kind of hair, like she was a, a sponsor or representative of this hair company called Copa. And I think they've since been sued, <laughs> but it was like supposed to be a hair straightener. So my memories of our wash days has just been you know my mom struggling to do our hair us crying and saying we wanted to put stuff in our hair to make our hair look more white Mm -hmm. and then once my mom agreed to do that wash days were were much better (laughs) tell me what is um I'm sorry I had two things I wanted to ask you now I'm going to start writing things down Can you tell me a little bit about what anti-Blackness is? I mean, it's in its easiest form, anti-Blackness, but can you give me a little bit more context and nuance? Sure. So the way that I think about anti-Blackness is anti-Blackness is a system that harms and deprioritizes Black people. So any person who has a proximity to Blackness or any person that is Black or any person that is Black adjacent is harmed by this system. It also works individually. Mm-hmm. And for me, like I just think of anti-Blackness as hating my Blackness and hating the parts of myself that I associated with being Black. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways that that showed up for me was my hair, right? Because I have the kinkiest textured, the coarsest textured hair, mm-hmm. and it is furthest away from whiteness. And so it really anti-Blackness is a system, a global system that works to harm Black people. Okay. What do you remember about your caregivers and those who took care of your hair when you were younger? What do you remember about them or the experience? That's such a great question. So my mom is really the main person that would do our hair. Um, We started going to that woman, Miss Betty. Mm -hmm. And my mom, I've never asked her what the catalyst was behind her getting a cosmetology license. But my mom actually, when I was maybe 11, she went to school and got a cosmetology license. And I never, I've never asked her why. And now after this interview, I'm going to go back and ask her, But maybe part of the reason was because of the struggles she saw my sister and I go through when it came to our hair. And I I don't think she felt fully comfortable not being able to take care of us in our hair and just kind of sending us to this salon, even though the woman was so sweet, right? I remember her still vividly, but my mom was really the only one I trusted to do my hair. But 
I never knew what texturism was until like the last few years we've been given language to understand hair discrimination, but growing up, it wasn't something that we knew about. Right. And I think back and I understand how it showed up in so many ways. And I think about the dolls that I had, my sister and I had American girl dolls, the American girl dolls that we had didn't have kinky hair my American Girl doll had straight hair. So I was like, oh, I see that this doll is, you know, like dark, right? So she's brown like me, but she had straight hair. And I never really thought about that as a kid. I just was like, oh, this is a doll. She's a black doll. And then I had this Cabbage Patch doll that I love. She was a black Cabbage Patch doll, but they had yarn for hair. So I never really saw myself in these dolls and things, but my mom was the only one that really did our hair, took care of our hair. After we moved, we weren't able to go to that woman, Miss Betty, anymore. And so I think my mom was just like, I'm going to be the one. So I remember my mom putting texturizers in our hair in the sink. And so sitting on the counter, her putting the texturizer in and then washing it out in the sink. And I don't know, like now why we didn't just go into the shower and wash it out like as I'm an adult thinking about this but I remember sitting and her like washing it out and you know making sure to get the kitchen and the back of our hair and the edges and every like three months mm -hmm. we would do that and we actually at some point my sister and I had a a perm like the perm that white people put in their hair to make it curly mm -hmm. we actually were was getting that in our hair and I remember sleeping with a shower cap and so it was like we had these like 80s style soul glow type of curls mm -hmm. and at some point I was just like I don't want to get the style anymore everyone at school has relaxers like all the black people have relaxers why do I have this style I didn't like it right and people would ask about my hair and ask about it being oily and all of these things mm -hmm. so I remember my mom really was took such good care of us in our hair and any style that we wanted, mm -hmm. my mom would do it for us. We were rocking crochet before, like it was a thing. I remember mm -hmm. in, school, in middle school and my mom would do crochet on my hair and my sister's hair. Every style, I feel like we just, my mom would just be like, okay, you want this style, let me do it, right? And then as I got older in college, I think that's when I started to real, like know what 4C hair discrimination was. I remember I went to a Dominican hair salon and mm. I had never been before, but all of my friends were like, you need to go to the Dominican hair salon. And all uh, most of my friends had had a relaxer. Most of my friends in college were Black women. They had relaxers or they had looser hair textures, right? And so they would go to the Dominicans. They would come back and have this like silky hair. And I remember when I was 20, I went to the Dominican hair salon and they charged me extra. I remember it was supposed to be $20. And that was the thing. You go, they have like these illegal blow dryers. They blow dry your hair. They do, you know, you come out and you look like, I was like, I'm going to come out and I'm going to look like Beyonce. I got there and they were speaking in Spanish. I don't speak Spanish, but I feel like what they were saying was that they had to charge me extra. Then at the end, they were like, it's $40. And in my mind, I was like, you know, I'm 20 years old. I, I was just like, I thought that everybody said that it's $20 to get your hair done here, but I just was like, I'm not going to argue. And I just hated it when I, you know, it was just, my hair looked stringy. My hair was natural at that time. I had no chemicals in it. 
but it was just stringy. It just wasn't, I don't even know if I took any pictures. It just looked horrible. Mm -hmm. And so after that experience, I just put, you know, I would wear a lot of like wigs, braids, um, human hair, synthetic hair. I just never wore my hair out and I never really had it natural. Right. And then I asked my mom to go back and put texturizer in my hair because I was like my edges. I, I just can't deal with it. So that was like my upbringing and sort of like how I how I started internalizing these beliefs that my hair wasn't um, acceptable. When you say texturizer, can you describe or tell the people what you mean? What, are the, yeah. what that is? Sure. So a texturizer is similar to a relaxer. I think it's supposed to be a little bit less harsh than a relaxer, but it loosens your it chemically, uh, it has uh, chemicals in it that loosen your curl pattern. So it makes your curls more silky. It makes your hair closer to that of like white people's hair. Mm. So it, and it, it's permanent until your hair starts growing out yeah. and you have new growth. Okay. Okay. So in my stalking of your <laughs> LinkedIn page, I see that you, this is, you are Dr. Yes. Dr. Can you, uh, how do you say your last name? Asair? Uh, Asari. Asari. Dr. Asari. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Tell me about your doctoral training. Yeah. So, um, I uh, watching so my parents um went through a lot just in their work experiences and mm -hmm. I saw them uh, go through a lot of racism and I think growing up and seeing what they went through made me really curious about the workplace and how to make people's experiences in the workplace better because we spend so much time at work Mm -hmm. And I think both of my parents being educators influenced me in a way I did not realize. And so I didn't know that I would end up being a professor. I didn't know what I wanted to be. I knew I loved to write and I knew that I loved to draw. And I studied uh, psychology in undergrad. I switched. I was studying pre-nursing because I loved at the time, I thought I was going to be a pediatrician or a pediatric nurse. I love babies. And then I was like, mm, this chemistry and um, anatomy <laughs> is not really for me. Let me switch. And I took a psychology. The first black professor I ever had um, made me fall in love with psychology and switched my major. Right. And so thinking about like how important representation is, I think about that a lot. So I went into his class. His class was amazing. And I was like, I want to do psychology. So I ended up studying psychology because I just loved the study of people. And I when I thought about like my dad is like, OK, now you have a psychology degree. What are you going to do with it? And this was like during the financial collapse and bank you know all the banks and the mortgage crisis mm. and of like I think it was 2008 or yes. 2009 and my dad was like what are you going to do right like what are you going to do with your life because the psychology degree is not working out you know you're working as a bank teller and you're not making a lot of money so what are you going to do and I was like, well, I took a marketing class in undergrad and I really liked that. So maybe I should go into business school, right? 
So I took the GMAT. I didn't do well on the GMAT, and I but I was able to get into a um, a business school. And at the time, I was living in Louisiana, and I moved down there for school. And um, I like took a semester and a half of a business school, and I just did horribly in economics and finance. And so I quit, and I started doing research on like what careers would fuse business and psychology because I loved. I loved marketing. I loved business law. It was so fascinating, but I did not like economics. I did not like accounting. I did not like finance. And yeah. I found out about industrial organizational psychology, which is just basically the study of the workplace, right? In workplace psychology. And there happened to be a accelerated graduate program in the city that I was living in, right? Which is like a sm small town in Louisiana. Wow. And it was a state university. So it was so, it, the it was very cost effective. And I was like, oh my gosh, like there's, I could be done in a year, right? Because they had trimesters. So I went there, I applied and I got in and I got my master's in industrial organizational psychology. And then I was like, I wanna keep going because this is so interesting. And I knew I wanted to get into diversity, equity, and inclusion, but I felt like as a Black woman, we need doctorates and higher credentials to be taken seriously. And so I felt like I want to just keep going since I feel the momentum. So then I, I moved to New York and I uh, studied applied organizational psychology. And I wanted to write my dissertation on hiring discrimination. And my advisor kind of steered me away from that because we were going to be manipulating people's skin color on LinkedIn profiles and looking at um, if people who, if Black people essentially were more likely to be hired than other races of people. And we were going to manipulate, um, also do like religious headgear and look at like if a Black person wearing religious headgear was more likely to be called back than a white person wearing religious headgear or a black person not wearing. So we were gonna do some manipulations. We ended up not, not doing that. And I ended up focusing on invisible disabilities in the workplace. So looking at um, disclosure and whether if you disclose in an employment interview that you have a history of something like depression, if that impacts your likelihood to get hired. So that's what I decided to study, but I always knew that I wanted to get into equity um, based on what my parents went through, I was like, I want to think about this whole racism thing and racism in the workplace and study that and figure out how to make people's experiences better. Mm. That study that blew up the natural hair world uh, at least a year ago, um, talking about uh, competence and more likely to be called back and, you know, all of that based on your natural hair. Um, speaks to similar research. What do you find um, with regard to hair in the workplace? What kind of barriers do you see there? Yeah, I. What's interesting is, um, I. It's funny. I just did an interview with someone, and they asked me this question. And I, I what I find with a lot of people, especially millennials, uh, particularly, I think Gen Z is a little bit more open. But with millennials and Gen Xers and older generations, there is more of a hesitancy when it comes to wearing black hairstyles, mm. uh, you know? And so what I see with a lot of my friends, for example, and I'm a millennial, is that a lot of my friends will say, 
oh, I'm not going to go to an interview with jumbo braids, right? I, it's just not a good look. It doesn't look professional. But once I get into the organization and I get hired, I have no problem with switching up my hairstyle. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, one of my best friends had actually said she, her company, she works for a law firm and her company was doing like pictures for the law firm and she had braids in. And I was like, why didn't you keep the braids in? They look so good. She was like, oh, like I'm already like black. I don't want to be like too black, right? That's a lot. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that stuck with me, but it's a very real concern with a lot of people. And even myself, like working in academia, I was pretty like with my hairstyles. I think I was, I did a lot of hairstyles, but there's some styles. I just was like being the only black professor in my department and working with mostly like 95% white students, I was just like still worried about how I would be perceived because I look younger than I am. I'm already black. I'm a woman. And then I come in. And so for a lot of people, it shows up in different ways in the hiring process. And what makes it so challenging is we can't prove that we were passed over for an interview because we had an Afro or because we um, wore braids but, you know, it, it, there's so much research and it's so prevalent. So I think what a lot of people do instead is they kind of unleash their true and authentic selves once they get into the workplace. But there's a lot of like policing of Black people's hair once we are in the workplace, as far as if you start mm-hmm. off with a certain style, you know, people will will comment on your hair when you switch it up. And I know that I had students and I know that they meant it from a from a, a, a nice place. But I, I'll never forget that when I would straighten my hair or I would come in with the silk press, which is just basically, you know, straightening your hair. Mm-hmm. Um, my students would give me compliments on my hair and they would say, oh, my gosh, I love your hair. And in my head, I'm like, it's just a silk press. It's not like anything like you know, miraculous, you know, but there is still a lot of discrimination, excuse me, that takes place in the workplace. And I've heard people share stories about how bosses and managers of theirs will comment on their hair in like very microaggressive ways and will say things even on, I think there's a perception that it doesn't take place online. But even online, I was just at a conference in April and there was a black woman who shared that her manager on a Zoom call asked her if her hair was real because I guess she switched her hairstyle. And I just thought that that was such a invasive question. So the microaggressions still take place even in a virtual setting. But I think it's so nice that many of us are still working remotely. So we don't get the, ooh, can I touch your hair type of um, behaviors, but the microaggressions are still there. Well, let's talk about how Black women are avoiding working in the office because we are running to working remotely. <laughs> and I mean, we as in me as well, <laughs> because these work environments are not always the best. Yeah, a hundred percent. And um, I actually just, I wrote an article recently that was basically like a lot of companies call themselves like anti-racist or say that they're uh, that they are focused on DEI, but they're forcing people to come back into the office. And that to me is like an oxymoron. You can't be a company that prioritizes equity, but you're forcing people to come back into harmful environments. 
And so, you know, I, I feel like we have to lean on the research. And I know that I think it was called Future Forum did a study last year, early last year, and they found that like 90 something percent of black workers say that they don't want to be back in the workplace or that they prefer hybrid or remote work. Mm-hmm. And but like the interesting part of it is that a, a large majority of people who are in essential positions are black. So it's like many of us don't have the luxury of working from home and companies continue to like try to push this like we need to be back in the office or they they're trying very heavily to surveil employees Mm. and they're like, okay, if you're going to work from home, we need to see we need to have cameras on your desktop and see what exactly you're doing and what you're looking at. And so it's like this constant need. And I feel like a lot of that is rooted in like white supremacy, where it's like this constant need to control and surveil people. And if you're hiring people, you should trust that they're going to do what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But of course, there there's like this lack of trust that employers have. And I, I understand because there there's been some studies that have come out that say like, during the pandemic um, and up until now, people, while they were on the clock, were doing so many other things. They were like taking naps and they were, you know, going and running errands. But I think that that points to the fact that the days should be shorter um, because there's, I forget what it's called. I feel like it's called the Pareto principle. I might, I might be saying it wrong, but there is a principle that basically says, People will do the work that you give them in the amount, in the number of hours allotted. So if you tell someone, I want you to finish this task in three hours, they will take three hours to complete the task. If you tell someone, I want you to finish this task in eight hours, they will take eight hours. So I think what that means is if people are able to do their work and run at errands, sleep, and do all of these things, um, I think that that means the days, the work days need to be shorter or we need to have like abbreviated um, work weeks. So I think that that's what it actually points to and and companies shouldn't be trying to like surveil and control people more now that they're working from home. Okay. Do you remember some of the first days of your transition to natural hair or accepting your natural hair? Yeah, doctor, that's such a great question. And I think I'm still transitioning into accepting it if I'm being 100% honest. When I, it's actually this last month made 10 years since I uh, did a big chop and went natural. And I saw it as like um a way to be free. I was moving to New York and I was really excited, but I wasn't fully confident with, I'd never had short hair in my life. And I did like a complete big chop where I had like a half an inch of hair on my head. And I, I wore it out for maybe three months and then the winter hit. And I, you know, I was like, it's getting cold and I don't know how this looks on me. I was insecure And I was like dating in New York City and I just felt like I wasn't as attractive to men with short hair. That was like what I was feeling and what I was thinking. And I feel like I projected that when I would go out. And even though it was interesting, people would actually, men would actually compliment me on my hair. 
I didn't feel internally like I was good enough or like I was whole enough. You know, we, we tie, we tend to tie femininity with hair. And if you don't have long hair and you don't have hair that looks a particular way, you feel less than. And it was, it was a lot. And I think I spent the majority of these years, these 10 years, while I was natural, my hair was in protective styles. And I think part of the reason um, for me is um, I'm lazy and I'll say it. Uh, my hair gets matted very quickly and it is very tightly curled. So right now I have my hair in uh, two strand twists mm-hmm. so that when I take it out, it's a little bit more manageable. But I think I love the braids and the different hairstyles for manageability um, because I, you know, many of us, many Black people, we don't wash our hair every single day, right? And I have very dry hair. And so I, I just the protective styles have really saved me, but I've been trying to think about like, am I also leaning on protective styles because I feel like I look better with them Mm. and because I feel like my natural hair, am I like, so it's been, I've been really grappling with in the last 10 years, like unpacking the anti-blackness and the hate that I had for my hair and learning to love my hair. And especially because one day, I'm hoping to be a mother. And if I have a daughter, what will she see? What will she think about her hair if she feels like I I don't accept my hair and I don't love my hair the way that it grows? So I've been thinking a lot about that. And I think it's been a journey for sure. There have been moments, I'm not going to lie, where I'm like, would it be easier to go back to the creamy crack and just to like, and for the listeners who are not familiar, creamy crack is just like a, a term that people use sometimes to describe relaxers or texturizers or hair straighteners. Um, but I've been thinking like, you know, my edges will never look like these people that I see on TV, right? None of the edge control creams work. So my edges will never really be laid, but learning to accept that and learning to accept myself. And that's not going to come from outside and external things. That's going to come from me really just like sitting with what I'm feeling and and recognizing where it comes from. What really inspires me is seeing these young, young girls on TikTok embracing their natural hair, right? In ways that when I was 19, 20, I couldn't even fathom right? Wearing my natural hair unmanipulated, doing a true like wash and go where I wash my hair and I don't try to stretch it because everything that many of us foresee hair gals do to our hair is to mimic other hair textures and is to stretch it out. But I've never really like washed my hair and just worn it out. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. So that really gives me hope that these newer these younger generations are really embracing their natural hair and embracing who they are. You know, when you would, when I would ask other people about hating themselves or hating parts of themselves or even hating their hair, oh no, I don't hate myself. I don't, that I don't, mm-mm, that's not what we do over here. And I will say that a lot of the people that I interview say, We don't do that over here, but I like that you were able to describe what hating your hair looks like, and it looks like hiding it. 
looks like wearing your protective styles, not really feeling comfortable. And yes, you can be natural and still dislike your hair and still hate your hair. And you raise up a great point. A lot of the focus, excuse me, a lot of the focus in the current natural hair world is all about trying new styles and, um, you know, looking, YouTube, university, Instagram, all of those things, but you're often coveting other people's textures that are not yours. And I found myself doing the exact same thing. And so I was very comfortable with twist outs and braid outs and things that stretched my hair and also gave it a little bit more definition, made some bigger curls, those kinds of things. So it wasn't until maybe year eight or nine that I realized, girl, you do not wear your hair in just a straight afro. Like you will spend your life trying to <laughs> get these elongated curls and that is not your hair. That's not your hair. And so thank you for describing what hating your hair looks like. Of course. And I appreciate that you shared that. Yeah, I think it's important to be honest. And I think it would be a lie to say, like, I fully 100% embrace and accept my hair. And I'm okay with saying that because we live in a world that tells us to hate ourselves and hate parts of ourselves. So I try not to be too hard on myself because of how I've been and we've been conditioned. I was just having a conversation recently with someone about how I think um, it was, it's a, I, I'm a big, huge Beyonce stan. I'm like, yes, but it would, I, I think it's a, a tiny little bit disappointing to me that I've never seen Beyonce wearing her natural hair. Um, and I, I recognize that because I love Solange and I love that Solange will embrace her natural hair. But I always think about how we never really know what Beyonce's hair looks like. Mm -hmm. Right. We know about it in a silk press. We know about it in all of these hairstyles. But I've never seen her except if it's like Foxy Cleopatra for a movie role. I've never really seen her with her real and natural hair and how impactful that could have been to young black girls to see that but mm -hmm. I also don't fault Beyonce for that right mm -hmm. but I, I I think it's important that we recognize it and call it out for what it is I think many of us like to deny it and say oh no no, no. I love I love my natural hair and it's like no we have to like heal that trauma so that we don't pass it on to other generations and other people Yes, I, I always click on the articles that say, oh, there's like, there'll be an article that says, oh, look at this star in their natural hair. Let's see their natural hair. And then they you get to it. And it's not their natural hair. It's like they don't have a weave, but their hair is straightened. Mm -hmm. And so like, that is their natural hair. Yeah. And that is in like, yes, that is natural hair. But also we're talking about your kinkier textures and, and being comfortable with those textures. So being comfortable with your natural hair has become being comfortable not wearing a weave. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I, I follow celebrities like Cardi B and Nicki Minaj. And I, I think that we were still really obsessed with like natural hair is okay if it's long. Right. So mm. people are willing in the natural hair movement to embrace natural hair, but it's like this obsession with getting long hair. And I was I was like that too, where I would be like, okay, let me take the picture and do the length check. 
Because I was like, I'm okay with being natural, but I don't want to be a short natural. Mm -hmm. I want to have long flowing hair, right? And it's like still all of those things are like rooted in the way that we're programmed. Like there's a certain way that it's okay to be a natural. And I love seeing, I used to love seeing celebrities embrace their natural hair. But when I do, it'll be like Cardi B showing how long her hair is with without chemicals, right? Mm -hmm. And it's straightened. It's not in its natural state. Or it'll be Nicki Minaj showing how long her natural hair is and being like, my natural hair is longer than all of you, you know? So it's like, it's still like this competition and it's still like, we're still rooting what we see as feminine and pretty in conceptions of whiteness. Mm -hmm. And we're not thinking about like in calling and praising black women with natural 4C hair that is not long, right? And I think that everything is about like length retention, length retention. A lot of these 4C hair pages is about how to retain your length, how to make your hair grow faster, right? YouTube University is all about that. And when I watch videos from 4C hair girls, I'm like, a lot of this is like how to retain your length, how to do a wash and go, right? And it's like, oh, the wash and go is supposed to make my hair look like it's 3C and not 4C, but it's not just like truly a wash and go, right? And so I think that that's also like the way that it sort of morphed into and the natural hair movement has its own hierarchies, right? And has its own like where we don't see 4C hair that's short. If we do see 4C hair, it's manipulated and made to look like 3C hair. In 2020, I had actually gotten a email um, from, I get like email casting calls from BuzzFeed because I applied to do, they were having like a contest to make something and I applied for it. And so they have me on a list. And so BuzzFeed was, they had me on some casting call list and they were looking for hair models. And so they posted, and this is a specific ad just two years ago. They're like, we're looking for hair models, people with type three hair only. And it literally, the ad literally said that. And I was like, we are in 2020 and people are like this blatant with their hair discrimination and their texturism. And, you know, I was like, I'm glad I'm in an evolved place. Mm -hmm. But like five years ago, 10 years ago, that would have really, really bothered me. And that would have really impacted me. Like, why is it that I can't be a hair model mm -hmm. and my hair is not acceptable, right? And I think that, I don't think we're at that point yet where we're fully ready to have that conversation because a lot of people are still like, well, I'm natural. And it's like, but I need to retain my length and I need to have this flowing long hair to make it okay to be a natural. I feel like if we, if it was like that, we wouldn't have a big chop. A big chop wouldn't be so significant. It wouldn't be such a, a life transition. And the transition to natural hair, we specifically wait until it gets to a certain length that we can actually tolerate in life. Like, okay, if I cut the perm off the ends of this, I can go outside of my door. Like I can interact with the rest of the world as opposed to hiding, which some people do hide for that time because it's just easier than managing and dealing with the embarrassment and shame that you have about your hair. Yeah. And I also, doctor, I try not to um, judge women and judge people who decide to go back to chemicals. Mm -hmm. I think I was very judgmental because I'm an, a natural and I was like, well, I have super coarse hair. And if I can 
do it, but I also wear protective styles and that gets expensive, right? To go and it's time consuming and it's expensive and it's just like a hassle. So if someone who has children and has a busy life and doesn't want to deal with what I have, to, what I know foresee people have to deal with, I shouldn't also judge, but I think it's important for us to interrogate where our feelings about our hair come from. And, you know, there's a makeup artist that I work with. She was, she's amazing. And we were having a conversation about hair and she was saying her daughter maybe is like 11 or 12. And I was telling her about my struggles with my hair and loving my hair. And I was telling her that my husband actually asked me a question that I never thought about. And he's like, what are you going to do when we have a daughter? And she does, she never sees you wearing your, your natural hair. And I never thought about that. And that mm. like really stuck with me. And I was telling her about that. And she was like, well, I have a relaxer, right? And I didn't know that. And she's like, I, my hair is just too much. And she's like, I don't like people judging me for the decision I made to make my life easier. I have two daughters. I have a busy lifestyle where I travel a lot. And I put a relaxer in my daughter's hair too. She was screaming. She's very tender headed. When I would do her hair, she was screaming, she was crying. It was too much. I couldn't deal with it. So she's like, I decided to put a relaxer in. And it's not because I don't love her natural hair. It was just too much. So I also try to recognize that everybody chooses hairstyles for different reasons. And I try not to judge people because it's easy for me to like say, oh, well, we all need to be natural. We all need to do this and do that. And it's like everybody's situation is different. So I also feel like we should give people, because I do know the natural community is very judgmental when someone decides to go back to relaxer. It's like, oh, why did you, oh, you can't call yourself. Sometimes there's even um, sentiments that you can't call yourself natural if your hair is dyed, my hair is dyed. And so mm -hmm. it's like, oh, you have chemicals in your hair. You can't call yourself a natural. And it's like, we're so judgmental within a community that was meant to be inclusive. Yes, it can be both and, not either or. Mm -hmm. I love that. And yes, the focus is hair choice. And when I was doing my research on it, um, that was actually a lot of people who had gone through the transition and gotten further in the transition felt the way that you felt. So the closer they got to 10 years of being natural, they felt like, you know, we really should give women the choice to have their hair however they want to and just accept it. Let Black women, let all women be able to go outside of their house and just have their own choice of hair. And regardless of what we're thinking, and yes, we are natural thinkers. Sometimes we think before we even think we're thinking. So yes, are we judging people from afar? Yes, we are. If you're not, you're lying to yourself. But what you should be thinking about as well during those times is that the purpose is hair choice. And even though I thought about it or felt like I might've been judgmental, you can not say it and you can reprogram yourself to think something else. The last question that I have is about the workplace. What advice would you give to a black person going into a workforce and they're having some apprehension about wearing their natural hair? That's a great question. I would say do what makes you feel comfortable. I can't sit here and say everyone should wear their hair natural because a lot of people aren't in safe spaces 
where they will be embraced for being their authentic self. So I think that would be very judgmental of me to be in a place where I have a lot of freedom because I'm a consultant and I'm an external consultant. So I am able to show up in whatever ways feel authentic to me. But I recognize that being in a corporate space doesn't always allow you that same level of freedom. So I would say do what makes you feel comfortable. One thing I try to remember, though, is I like to show up authentically as me because I don't want to work for a company that or for anyone that is not going to embrace me for who I am, because I know that I'll be stifling parts of myself. And that's not something that is sustainable, right? Um, I get that you might really want to work somewhere. And it's like, this is a great opportunity, but you won't be able to continue working in an environment where you can't show up as your authentic self. So I like to similar to, you know, sometimes people I've actually heard hiring managers and recruiters on LinkedIn saying, Black people, you should change your name so that it sounds more white. But I think that the flip side of that is, do you want to be in an environment where you would have to change your name to not get discriminated against and to be accepted by your peers? Or would you want to come in as your authentic self and know that this is an environment that knew what it was and they embraced you, right? So I think that I would say that's also something to think about, but everyone is at a different point in their career and it depends on what your long-term goals are. If your goal is to like move up in your corporate structure, if the corporate structure is not one in which those types of things are embraced, you might decide you don't want to wear your hair natural. So I think it's very gray and it wouldn't be fair to say every single person should. I do think that there is importance in normalizing black hair and black hair styles. And that's why I felt comfortable, even though I was a little nervous at first. I remember like the I tried this hairstyle I've never done before where um, it's kind of like cornrowed in the front and then she added uh, uh, extensions in the back, but there were was hair also added to the braids in the front. And it's almost like half Fulani braids or something, but it was, it was, I really loved the style and I was really nervous because I was like, oh, I've never worn this style before. What are my students going to think? When I did a braids with beads hairstyle, I was super nervous because I'm like, I don't know what my students are going to think. But then I just said to myself, well, they're Gen Z mostly and Gen Zers, I feel like are more open to certain things. But I also was thinking about the fact that we have to normalize blackness and normalize black hairstyles. And the more these hairstyles are normalized and they see people wearing these styles, the more it won't be something that is like obscure. And I think that part of it is like a lot of us, we, we do have very valid fears of discrimination, but I think it's also important to, if we feel safe enough to normalize those black hairstyles. Great. I saw that picture of the, with the beads in them. Love. I saw a picture and I wanted to ask you about it. Um, yeah. You took a picture of yourself and your hair right before you resigned a job. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So I am thinking which hairstyle that might've been a weave that I had when I quit I did have a weave a couple of months ago so I'm thinking that that might have been the hairstyle but yeah so I um 
I wear so many hairstyles that I have to really like think about. Which <laughs> I think that that hairstyle might have been a weave. And what so what I do when I wear hair extensions or I wear like I really try to make a point now to wear hair that is black owned or that is from a black owned company and that is as close to my hair texture as I can get because I do recognize that before I used to wear hair hair uh and hairstyles that weren't close to my hair texture right and it's been really hard I haven't been able to really I think I found one company that makes wigs that mimic 4c hair but it's been really hard to find 4c hair texture uh, or 4C like hair textures. And, you know, for me, my schedules opened up a little bit since I left the university, but it was really hard to do consulting to also um, teach and also think about my hair, right? And so I loved having my hair in a style for two or three months and not having to think about it. Preferably hairstyles where my edges don't have to be laid because I love braids, but I feel this like incessant urge to lay my edges and my edges don't lay, you know, I, I don't, it doesn't work for me. So if it's a hairstyle, like a weave where I can have like a half bang where you don't see my edges, I think those are the best, but I think the hairstyle you're referring to, I, I believe was hair extensions um, in that picture. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate the way that you were able to open up about work and open up about what natural hair in the workplace is like, um, and also giving a look into what industrial organizational psych is. Like, that is very cool, Dr. Asari. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. And do you prefer me to, uh, calling you Dr. Kratisa? Is it Kratisa? Yes. Yes, Dr. Kratisa. Okay. That's well, fine. We're, we're both psych sisters, so. <laughs> exactly. So feel free. You can call me Kratisa. Um, Dr. Kratisa is just my stage name. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. It was wonderful to chat with you, Dr. Kratisa. I look forward to speaking with you again. And I, I really enjoyed the opportunity to just chat about these things. I've never talked about this on a podcast before. So I loved the conversation. Awesome. So in thinking about how the episode went, I was talking with my mom and she said, you might need to explain like what tenderheadedness, what, what that is. People might not know what tenderheadedness means or to be tenderheaded. So the combination of the discussion with Janice, as well as the mention of tenderheadedness, those things kind of fused and I was inspired to talk about that. And what is that concept to be tenderheaded? So the definition for people that don't know is it's you having a sensitive scalp. If someone is tenderheaded, they have a sensitive scalp. It is sensitive to combs or, you know, when you're, when you try to part your hair, if you get like a little teeny tiny pop on your hair um, from the root uh that could like literally send chills up their bodies. I'm a person who is tenderheaded and my scalp is easily irritated. Likely it's easily irritated during the hair styling process, not the hair care, but the styling process. And I make that specification for a reason. So back in the day, elders used to say that like having more hair means like 
you should not be tenderheaded. So like when I was younger, I had this few like big, big hair, just, just covered. It was like twice the size of my face <laughs> or my head. <laughs> and people said I had a big head when I was a kid, but it was very, very big and voluminous. However, a lot of people, when they got to do my hair would say, I know you ain't tenderheaded. How are you going to be tenderheaded? You cannot be because the implication is that you have all of this hair and this is a regular thing. You have to go through this at least, you know, every two weeks, three weeks to get your hair done, um, if not more frequently. So how are you still being hurt by this process? This hair is going to easily give people whoever wants to style it or do it a problem. So, you can't expect to not be hurt in the process. And so it's, a, it's an annoyance. And so the, the, what you can see on the internet right now or uh, videos, people post videos, hairstylists post videos about their experiences working with children and working with people who are tenderheaded. And they don't like it. And honestly, when you look at the video, even if you don't look at the video with any kind of like volume and you just watch, you see a person sitting in the chair, a child or a, pair, a person sitting in the chair, getting their hair pulled. They're, you know, imagine their shoulders, you know, pulling up close to their ears, trying to like brace themselves for the next shot of pain or, you know, uh, like the fear of what, where the pain is going to come from. I mean, it could be the hot comb. It could be, you know, parting and straightening. It could be, you know, when you wrap the ballies around the little girl's hair if you wrap them as hard as they sometimes need to go it can be hurtful so you see that and then you also see someone the hairstylist who is looking either trying to like close that part of their heart off <laughs> to not care or like oh, this is painful for me too. Like, I don't want to have to do this. And a lot of people are saying, I'm not going to work with kids. I'm not going to work with anybody that's tenderheaded. Like, don't come to me. Go, like, if you do come to me, you have to take like pain meds or like Tylenol before you come to help, you know, manage. But the point is, this is an uncomfortable experience for everybody. And so story time with me. So when I was, uh, my parents got married around, I was, I think I was like nine. And like I said, my hair was huge. And the night before we were at the hairstylist getting our hair done. My hairstylist, long story short, she quit. She quit halfway through my hair. <laughs> Anybody who listened to my previous podcast heard this story, but she, of course, there were other things that were going on that probably contributed to the reason why she left and left at that time. But I think I was the straw that broke the camel's back <laughs> because she, I was getting spiral curls. And what we know now from education is that if you don't seal hair, then moisture gets in it and then it puffs up again. And so water is like your nemesis when you're trying to do styling of black hair because it is the one thing that can ruin your style no matter what. If water touches your hair, you're like a witch in the, the play. Oh, I'm melting. 
Um, which is why we have like things like the, you know, things to cover our hair in the rain, things to keep us moving without having to have that discomfort. But the point is, this woman left defeated. She had spiral curled one side of my head. And by the time she got to the second side to do that side, the other side was puffed up. You could not see the curls. The curls had gone away. And it, this is like over an hour, hour and a half. And everybody else got their hair done except me. And so the owner, after the lady left and quit, the owner came and finished the hair. And then when I woke up in the morning, guess what? I have no curls. And the entire bridal party <laughs> standing over me, each with a separate uh, curling iron, trying to curl my hair before the wedding. But that is a memory that stuck with me. It was distressing. It was disturbing. I felt like I was the problem. And as a nine-year-old who, like, kids always think that things are their fault. You know, I, I left my, my Legos out and mommy tripped and now, like, she lost her job and, you know, got a divorce. Like, whatever it is that's happening in life that might be just regular life, they think about it as it's them that's causing this. And so when I think about my experience and I think about her experience, like, what powerlessness like I remember her look like I'm trying like I'm really trying and hair and the expectations meeting the expectations that America has for the way that our hair should look can make people feel overwhelmed and insecure and it's painful for everyone and most people are like ah you could do something else but what's even more painful is that we have a system that often requires black people to do their hair a certain way to look professional and some if not all of the styles involve some kind of manipulation some kind of combing and a parting and a splitting and a tying and a, a clenching something of that nature that was previously spoken of we are requiring people to endure physical and emotional pain to make other people feel comfortable about our presence and the way that we look naturally. So I'm asking everyone this season to do the work and pay attention to your lived experiences because like most Black people in America, we don't want to see the reality of it sometimes. Sometimes if we take that glance over to look at it, we might be afraid that we you know, can't look away or that we, we might fall into the emotion or the, the stress of it all. So, but in a time with such pervasive anti-Blackness, the purpose of all of this is hair choice. We as Black people deserve to have the right to decide what happens to our bodies. We should have the freedom and autonomy in the decisions that involve our body. One could say that you could get another job, you could go somewhere else where you can wear your hair how you want to. However, we have a completely, it's like a closed system of boundaries and systemic racism. I mean, that's the, the buzzword is systemic racism, but it's these concepts, these unspoken racial boundaries, locks, gates, chains on places where everyone else is like a revolving door and they can just come and go as they please. But these are the foundation of America. So when people try to go to a different job, they might find the same policies. When people go to a different state or a different town, they might find those same policies, which is why it's so important for legislation to be passed because 
Imagine having to choose to leave a job because you're, you changed your hair or you decided like, I'm done changing my hair. I'm just going to come to work and you can fire me. But then they have to come home broke or jobless and then manage the stress of finding another job because they decided they didn't want to change your hair. And if they go to a different job and they have the same policy, like, what are we talking about here? So the least that we can do, anybody who's listening to this podcast, when you see people with or without natural hair, do not be a barrier for them. Do not be a barrier for them in their identity. Allow them to choose a look that makes them feel the most comfortable and aligned with themselves. Not you, not society, aligned with themselves. A look that makes them feel the most comfortable. All right, y'all. I'll see y'all next time. And remember, as I always say, change is hard. So be nice to yourself. Thank you for tuning in to Deeply Rooted with Dr. Kurtisa. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to share and support the podcast, please subscribe, leave a rating and a review, and share the show with family and friends. And remember, on wash day, don't just wash your hair. Check your soul. This is brought to you by Alive Podcast Network. <laughs>